0: lived in Boston for three years, and I, I lived at this great parish called Our Lady Help of Christians, and um, uh, in exchange for room and board, I did services in the morning. I had mass at 7 in the morning, and then I'd head off to business school. And uh, after I'd been there maybe four or five months, the uh, um, there's a woman named Margaret. You, you know how the daily mass crowd is, right? It's pretty regular, right? You know, and you develop this little community, and uh, this woman Margaret says to me, "Is Father, Father, we just love ya, right?" right? And uh, I decided to be a little cheeky, and I said, "Well, why do you love me, Margaret?" She said, "Because we can hear ya, right?" <laughs> right. So, a big shout out to Kelly uh, for um, you know all the great work that she does and making it work for uh, for us. So, thank you. When I, right before I was ordained, uh, my spiritual director was this g- really groovy guy, total creature of the 60s, and uh, he said to me, he said, you know, one of the greatest things about being a priest, Tom, I said, well, what's that, Tom, And his Father Tom, and he said, you don't even have to be very good, and they still love you, right, <laughs> right, <laughs> and I find that to be uh, consistently true. Uh, let's begin with a prayer. Uh, and then we'll just sort of dive right in, all right? Um, and for though I see a lot of familiar faces, and uh, welcome back. And um, for the new faces, what I'll try to do is I'll recap things very, very quickly, and then we'll just push on for, uh, for the duration of the time that we have, all right? So we begin with the same prayer we began with last time, uh, the Susipe uh, from St. Ignatius. Uh, as I said, it's one of my favorite prayers, and... Um, Uh, and it just speaks to this total surrender and this total trust in God. Take, Lord, and receive all that I have and all that I possess, my memory, my understanding, my entire will. You have given all to me, now I return it. Give me only your love and your grace, for that's enough for me. Your love and your grace are enough for me. Amen. So, uh, do you like my shirt? Yeah, right. So last night, uh, it was such a nice night, but uh, I was feeling a little empty inside, and so the mall was still open, so I actually went to the mall and bought this new shirt. <laughs> you like it? Huh? Right. Sort of <laughs> right, thank you, that's my point, right? So for those of you who weren't last night, let me just recap quickly, and, and I made an inside joke, and, and soon you'll be on the inside, is that one of the things, uh, first we, we talked about who's poor. Right? And we tend as a, as a culture and a society to uh, limit it to economic terms, right? And what I suggested is that the very nature of poverty uh, doesn't have to do with material possessions uh, at all. As a matter of fact, there, there could even be an inverse correlation between what is poverty and material possessions, though I don't want to... Um, I don't want to say that living without the basics of life is good. But uh, in the Garden of Eden, we turned away from God, and um, we realized that we were naked, and we were ashamed that we were naked, right? Uh, And this is the essence of poverty, is that we are all naked, uh, and that we want our instinct to cover it up. And what I suggested last night is that the materially poor—they're no different than the people who who, the the people who don't have means are no different than people who do have means. It's just that people who have means can cloak their poverty in different ways. Right? We can cloak our vulnerability. Uh, both by what we're able to purchase, but also by our social skills, right? Um, I can hide how I'm suffering in an, in an artful way, and, and so can you, right? But I suggested that we, we're all naked before the Lord. That's how we come into the world, uh, and we are all poor. So when we read the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, uh, blessed are the meek and the humble, uh, those beatitudes speak to us, right? Uh, and then, after I established that you and I are part of the poor, and it's not necessarily anything to be ashamed about, it's part of the human condition, what I suggested was, is the way that God had made us, is God had made us with this, this sort of space inside of us. I think I called it a donut, right? You know, the hole inside of the donut, and as, as human beings we want to stuff things inside that sp- empty space inside us so i use that saint augustine quote of our hearts are let- restless o lord and they will not rest until they rest in you that nothing satisfies the deepest human longing except god and we can put, put try to put people or relationships or things or sex or drugs or something into the center of ourselves to make us feel full um, but it's just an illusion because why what did we learn by watching jerry Maguire? nothing completes us except the lord god himself and then i went on to suggest that um if we are all poor right uh what is it is the appropriate christian response to poverty to being vulnerable or afraid or needy Uh, and i suggested that it was compassion to suffer with right and the perfect act of compassion was god taking on human form in his son and coming to us you know came to us as a slave right the lowest of the low, not only came to serve the poor to give us a model, but came and showed the ultimate vulnerability. So what I was trying to suggest last night is that your own vulnerabilities and your own poverty are not necessarily a burden, but they're potentially a gift. Um, and uh, so that's where we'll pick up, uh, that I'm poor and that you're poor and that you and I have a tendency to try to hide or cloak our poverty Um, and what we need to understand deeply is that god doesn't love us and others don't love us because of our perfections but but it's our imperfections it's our cracks that allow god and others to get close to us and think about this in terms of your own human relationships right what really solidifies a relationship All right, so you saw me, I'm an emotional guy, Uh, I'm Irish, but the times that I let somebody into my brokenness or woundedness, right, uh, that's ironically is what creates the strongest relationships. Uh, My friends in college who I lived with them all four years, uh, they'll never forget the times that we grew up together and cried together and suffered through what seemed like the worst times in life together and the joys together. But it, it, was, it wasn't my perfections that, that they can cling to, it's, it's my imperfections and yours as well. And the same is true of God. God loves us and sometimes the easiest way to, for God to break into us is our own limitations and our own imperfections, right? And compassion is the fundamental response of God towards humanity. So I'm going to show a little video, uh, and and I like it for some reasons, and I don't like it for some for others. And it's it's contrived, it's not an authentic video. It's a social experiment, but I think the point uh, the point is still made by watching the video. So we'll watch this and just look at the difference. It's a, it's a, it shows a beggar, and how people come upon somebody who is begging or panhandling on the street and just look at how people respond to this person who is begging. Even though it's contrived, I think it it shows a natural response.
1: Says here, I need uh, money for food or drugs, basically. There
0: you go. Make sure you, make sure you get a big bottle. Oh, we bringing you shopping tonight. That's all I've made today, but you need it so much more than I do. You and your Oh wonderful. my god, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. I really appreciate that. Can I say a prayer for you? Yeah. Uh, pray that God looks out for you and wakes you up every morning. Excuse me, wait one second, wait one second. I just want to tell you something, that this is actually, we're filming, there's a camera right here, we're filming a social experiment, and that was the most amazing thing in the world, because you're homeless, you said you needed more than me, and you gave what you made, and we're not, this actually, no one else has actually gave people, thousands of people walk by, and they don't do anything. I want to give you something for that, maybe just to help you out. Here's a, give you like a hundred dollars, and it could do something, like, you're just amazing. You were gonna help us, when you don't even have a lot yourself. I really appreciate that. Thank Just want to give you a hug. Thank you so much. That was amazing. You're a hero. Make sure you guys. Sometimes material poverty um, obscures what the real human need is. And last night when we talked about what the hallmarks of of poverty were. We did talk about the the material parts, but but the immaterial parts. And having spent 15 months down at Andre House, um, the one thing I can say that for absolutely certain is um, uh, nobody down there is starving. No one. Uh, They are malnourished. They eat the wrong things because People out of a sense of goodness will bring down boxes of donuts to the neighborhood, or, or um, uh, things that are very high fat and high carbohydrate. Um, but no, nobody is serving. There's 21 meals a week served in our neighborhood between Saint Vincent de Paul, and Andre House, um, and it's a good and holy instinct to come down to what looks like Skid Row and and give something away, but but oftentimes what you're giving away is it's it's just a fence it's just a shield it prevents you from having the kind of encounter that touched you in that video clip Um, notice the woman's gesture she didn't walk by and drop it in she didn't say hey get high right Um, but she bent down, right, and made eye contact with the person and then had the audacity to pray with that person that was sitting there. And if you remember what we said last night, remember what's the where's by you in the world? It's by yourself, right? Um, the material effects of poverty are totally manageable, right? And we could fix them as a society or a community, but the intangible loneliness and isolation is the part that you don't need anything to be able to fix an encounter. When we give services at Andre House, I always say, you know, we do showers and clothing and, and um, uh, laundry and meals, and I said, look, These are just an excuse. These are an excuse or a reason to have a real human contact with another person who has become otherwise isolated. Um, This is the greatest poverty in the world, is to, to be overlooked or looked beyond. And the compassionate response is not, hey, I'll support you in whatever you do, right? And this is sort of where our culture has come, you know, you know, get a big bottle, right? Um, You know, go ahead and get some weed, escape, right? I get you. In a certain way, that's a compassionate response because they're saying, I know the need to escape and I'm willing to fund your ability to escape. Um, But the purpose of this life is not to escape it, but to enter into it and an essential part of life is, is human suffering and though I'm Irish and I tend to think too much along long way but human suffering can be a beautiful thing because it has the opportunity to draw us together so if we think about human compassion as uh, sort of a way of describing the incarnation of Jesus Christ who came among us as a slave um, and what that great gift is, uh, the last part of our talk is, is, well, what do we do with it? If compassion is the way to think about seeing Christ in the face of the poor, how do we act on that idea or feeling? And I think the best way to answer that question is to look to Scriptures, And not just one scripture, but look to the pattern of scriptures. I always think it's important to look to the pattern. And there is a pattern through the Hebrew scriptures and through the Christian scriptures of what it is that we are called to do when we have a compassionate moment, when we have an intimate encounter with God. Let me start off with Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your land, your relatives, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God, when we encounter God, when it's an authentic and deep encounter with the Lord, is to be sent, to be sent on a mission, to be commissioned, uh, to be a minister. Note that Abrahams, who has this powerful encounter with God, their first meeting is God is saying to Abraham, look, you've had this deep encounter with me. You know that I am real. You know that I am the Lord of your life. God says, get out. Right? Don't save it. Don't try to, try to persevere it or, or preserve it, but get out. What happens the first time that God meets Moses? Where's the first time that God meet Mo- meets Moses? Exodus 3 at the burning bush. And upon Moses' grasping that he had met God, what does God tell him? Go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Couldn't think of a scarier assignment. Go to Pharaoh. Peter in Luke chapter 5 has been fishing in the boat, comes back, unsuccessful day of fishing, right? What does Jesus say? Go out, cast your net on the other side. He does. They have this great catch of fish, and he comes and he lays down, he falls down at the feet of Jesus. And what does Jesus tell him to do? To go out. Isaiah, chapter 6, the prophet. He sees the Lord high, lifted up, and he's overwhelmed, and Isaiah falls down, and God says, I have a job for you, and I need you to go to a group of very hard-hearted people who will not listen to you and who will resist you. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Whenever somebody has a deep and authentic and a personal encounter with God, they're sent. And they're sent how and why? From Genesis 3, Abraham, to be a blessing. Not to savor the moment, right? But to go forth and be a blessing. God never pulls us in without sending us out john chapter 17 verse 18 as you sent me so i send you jesus commissioning the disciples when people come to Andre house the frequent response is this i got a lot more out of it than i gave right that is a true statement right god never sends you on a mission to be blessing to others Without giving you the grace or blessing to sustain it. But you can't be a blessing for others unless you're willing to lose something. Going out and being sent can be costly. You can't be a public Christian if you're not willing to get out. Sometimes you need to send your body, sometimes you need to send your wallet. Sometimes you need to bring others with you. Sometimes it costs us in terms of our life or our lifestyle. But Jesus was sent out so we could be reached, so we are touched by Jesus to reach others. And you won't be a blessing to others unless you're willing to be sent out. But I have to warn you, as soon as you identify yourself as somebody who is willing to be, get, to be sent out, you'll be criticized. People will think you're strange. It's like the great Catholic author Flannery O'Connor said, you know, the truth will make you strange, Right? When I was, uh, uh, I, I, I can't mention, you know I'm a Notre Dame fan, but, you know, a guy who went to Harvard has to say again and again, in case you hadn't heard, I went to Harvard, right? Um, uh, but my first day there, there was a, I went as a Catholic priest to their business school, and my first day there, uh, we were invited, it's a big class, there's 750 people in the class, and we're going to our first social, and I knew that they knew that I was a priest when I was going there. I was interested in business ethics and, and kind of really important issues. And um, uh, the very first social, I'm at the parish, and I'm getting dressed, and I'm put on my Roman collar, and I have this deep desire to fit in. There's going to be 750 people there and their spouses, and who the hell is this guy dressed as a priest, right? We all have this desire to sort of just be part of the community, and I remember when I was driving in, um, and I was driving past this discount store called Filene's Basement, I had every instinct in my body, I had my black suit on, was to go in and buy a white shirt and remember how I used to tie a tie and put it on and just blend in. Not that I was ashamed of being a priest, but I just did not I just didn't want to stand out. I'll tell you the end of that story, but don't miss the point that I was afraid of of standing out or being different. So I finally got to the social and it's this big room. It's a room bigger than this and it's filled with all these raging ext- extroverts. And I did wear my priest collar and I walked in and I'm trying to find the edge of the room, the bar in the edge of the room, right? right? Because I'm more of an introvert. And uh, on my way to the bar, this guy came up to me and he's like right in my face, right? And he points at my Roman collar and he looks at me and he says, that is so cool, right? right? He said, I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> no lie, he thought I was just gooning the whole thing, right? It's like, right? <laughs> Turns out his dad was an ex-priest and his mom was the an ex-nun. And we became very, very good friends over the course of the year. But I had to convince him that I was not the class clown. I was the <laughs> class cleric. But you'll stand out when you have a real encounter with christ and you go out on mission uh, you'll stand out and you'll be criticized you'll become a foreigner but the real challenge for us as christians is is not to totally assimilate into the culture uh, but not to stand apart as as a sect judging the culture right that we're always called to live in this sort of deep tension between the two, right, that we are, and when we talked about last night, we're, we're not citizens of the United States or Mexico or France or Iraq, that we're, we're citizens in Christ by adoption. So how do we transcend the culture? There was, um, let me give an example of this. In the, in the second century, there was a pagan writer by the name of Suetonius, a Roman, uh, who, when observing the early Christians, so this would have been probably the year from like 120 to 150, uh, he, was, he looked at them as part of the Roman Empire and part of the Greek world, and they said, Christians are a different genus or species, right? They were so different from the culture around them. And he observed these things about Christians, and he said, there's never been a group of people that holds this sort of body of beliefs. He says, Christians don't keep their Christianity private, that they're countercultural. And they're counterculture because they didn't go to the bloodthirsty entertainment, which made Christians antisocial. Christians wouldn't serve in Caesar's army or wars of conquest. Christians were different than the Romans and the Greek society because they empowered women and allowed women to participate in a way that society at the time didn't allow. Christians were different because they mixed races and classes in a way that was considered to the Romans and to the Greeks scandalous. Christians were different because they were against abortion and infanticide, which were common practices at the time, especially when somebody had a daughter. Christians were different because they were, out, they were against sex outside of marriage. Christians were different because they were radically for the poor, and they gave far more to the poor and needy than the Greeks or the Romans did. And Christians were different because they believed that Jesus Christ was the only way of salvation, because both the Romans and the Greeks were polytheists. But the Christians said there was only one way to salvation, And Suetonius is observing is that there's never been a group of people that has held this strange body of beliefs. We were aliens in a land that they belonged to. They were Romans, they were Greeks, but they held this strange body of beliefs. And we say, well, that was a long time ago. It's different now but what would you say about a group that held primarily these four things? They didn't go to bloodthirsty events or entertainment. They considered it to be antisocial. They wouldn't serve in the, we wouldn't serve in the army or wars of conquest. We believed in empowering women uh, and allow them to participate in a society the way that the general society does not. We mix races and classes in a way that's considered to be strange or scandalous. It sounds kind of liberal to me. Right? But what about this next list? We're against abortion and infanticide. We're against sex outside of marriage. We give radically to the poor more than our government or society does. That sounds conservative. Christians didn't belong to the society in the same way that other members of the society did. They stood out so much that they were thought as a a different species or genus, right? In the last four elections, uh, Catholics have, have basically split their vote between the Democratic and the Republican Party. And in some years, it is balanced on one side and the others. And some people can say, this is a sign that 50% of the Catholics are just messed up, <laughs> right? right? Because they didn't vote for the party that I voted for. Maybe. Maybe it's a sign of their health, that of that list of things that as Catholics we, we understand and prioritize them differently that we don't look like the rest of society. And that neither one of these parties in this two-party system that we have fully capture the way that we think about the world as baptized Christians who have been saved by Christ, who lived the life that we should live and died the death that we deserve to die. We're strangers. And when you are sent out and when you go out you will offend people. But God says that I send you out and that I will bless you. When was it that the dove came down upon Jesus and we heard from the heavens, this is my beloved Son, upon whom my favor rests? It happened right before Jesus began his public ministry right before he was sent out. And if we feel this deep sense of compassion because Christ has come for us and because we love and, and sympathize with the suffering of our brothers and sisters, but we trust that God sends us out with his power and with his blessing, all hell can break loose and it's not going to make any different to us because we don't care what other people think so much and we are perfectly confident that God is with us. Emmanuel. O come, Emmanuel. Ransom the captive Israel. Well, the ransom has been paid, my friends, and we have been set free in Jesus Christ. Becoming a more compassionate person requires practice. Sometimes the hardest place to extend compassion is uh, in our own home and under our own roof or the people that we become familiar with uh, over the course of our life. Um, Michael Sullivan was a great man, but I don't know that I've ever told him that. Um, uh, As we think about the gift of Jesus Christ as, as, as the gift of compassion, Uh, and we think about seeing Christ in the face of the poor, Um, Andre House and the poor and homeless in Phoenix certainly need to be thought of. Uh, The church tells us we should live in a preferential way uh, in thinking about and supporting the materially poor, and that's a fact. Somebody once said that you don't get to heaven without a letter of recommendation from the poor. And encountering the poor uh, might be the material poor in Central Phoenix, but, but there's poverty in your midst. There's family members that are hurting. There's grudges that you've held that need to be let go. There's woundedness in your own life. You're not so rich yourself. And you need to be vulnerable enough to let Jesus Christ into that broken space and trust enough that you can let somebody else into that space because it's hard to go down and bend down and meet somebody who's a stranger um, and meet them face to face if you haven't practiced compassion at home. But sometimes it's easier to meet a stranger. And the one thing I would say about reaching out to the material poor is, is they don't need tourists. They don't need somebody to come and bring them a Subway sandwich once. They need somebody to make eye contact with them and pray with them in that moment. They need somebody who says, hey, I'm going to be here uh, next week, and I'm going to buy you coffee here. They need somebody who's going to stick with them. Jesus Christ sticks with us in that regular relationship. And the material you in Phoenix... Um, they need friends, and you and I are no different than them. A couple lucky breaks, a couple hard breaks. I hope that I haven't made you feel guilty in a way that you feel judged. I'm I'm right with you, right? Um, but I do know that God and the and the church is calling us into a deeper relationship with the poor. Uh, And they are in this church, and they're in our midst, and they're in a nearby nursing home, and it's a mother-in-law who you haven't visited, uh, though is lonely and needs company. Uh, It's a son or daughter who has become estranged, who doesn't deserve your love, but you give it anyway. Um, And it's the materially poor who are woefully unsupported in, in our state. But as you go about it, I'll leave you just with one last thought. Um, And it's this, is that Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. He did not say, count my sheep. You don't have to set up a new program uh, to serve hundreds of people. Just, Just feed the one that's in your midst when they cross your path. And I think that's the great thing about this project that St. Patrick's has, has created is that we're creating these giving baskets. And, and the purpose is not to give them a pair of socks and a granola bar uh, and some toothbrush or toothpaste, but it's to, um, it's to hand it to them uh, and meet them uh, and risk saying, hey, can I say a prayer for you? What's the worst they can say? No. All right. I'm going to pray for you. Uh, I think this mission, you know, some people feel un- uncomfortable about it, but but look, what God never sends you without blessing you, and God will bless you as um, you take these gift packages to people, but um, it will bless you whenever you reach out and risk being compassion as Jesus was for us, for others. Um, so I thank you for letting me think out loud about these things and share my stories, and my favorite films with you, Uh, and uh, somebody will come and give some instructions. I went a little long. I apologize, but let's just finish with a prayer, and then um, Mary will come down and, and talk about next steps. Take, Lord, receive all that we have and all that we possess, our memory, our understanding, our entire will. You have given all to me. You have given all to us. Now help us to return it. Give us only your love and your grace, for that is enough for us. Your love and your grace, Lord, are enough for us.